Welcome to Subtle Beast, everybody. I am your host, Foltz. With me, as always, my partner in crime, Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. How's it going, my man? Dude, I'm feeling good. It's going good for me. Everything is live and in effect. Man, how are you? I'm good. Uh, not too bad. Um, we've had some some like uh, really weird weather here. It's January in Pennsylvania, and it was like 60 degrees for the past couple days. It's been really... <coughs> Sorry. That's what's happening. It's really causing some... Uh, problems <laughs> it, it was it was weird to be that warm i think it was above it could have been like 65 yeah in, in january on a saturday even so everybody was outside enjoying it i saw flowers blooming like buds coming <laughs> i was like this isn't going to be good for anybody not and, in the middle of winter no and then my allergy started kicking back in full force um so my voice sounds a little weird tonight just bear with me i got cough drops going <clears throat> but we're just getting it done tonight uh fun show tonight we're going to be talking about Titanic. And what's interesting about this is uh, there's many different theories that haven't been popularized in today's pop culture. A lot of different um, takes on what could have possibly happened with Titanic other than the story that we all know of it hitting an iceberg. Right. It's a hundred-year-old story. You know, it's something that you've grown up with your whole... Uh, everybody that you know has grown up with their whole lives is the story of the Titanic and it's it's maiden voyage and it's an unsinkable ship that hits an iceberg and it sinks. Right. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't heard it, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the movie Titanic, spoiler alert, it, uh, it sinks at the end. Yeah, there's not going to be a sequel. Right. No sequel. But, um... There is some takes on this tonight that if you are a, a firm follower of Subtle Beast and you and you listen to our podcast religiously, once we finished covering this material tonight, you're going to have some choices to make in your mind of what you really think happened, as, as everybody will. You have to be your own judge because there's a couple different theories that we're going to throw out here. Yes. So we're going to kick it right off. <clears throat> so here we go. Now... J.P. Morgan, now he was a, a famous banker back in the uh, the turn of the, the 1900s. J. P., people are saying that J.P. Morgan sunk the Titanic to form the Federal Reserve. Now there's some undeniable proof that emerged that J.P. Morgan sunk the Titanic to form the Federal Reserve. The biggest false flag in history orchestrated by banksters. Shocking new evidence has emerged that J.P. Morgan carefully orchestrated the sinking of the Titanic so that he could form the Federal Reserve. Now, back in 1889, a book was written by Morgan Robertson, spookily titled The Wreck of the Titan, detailed the demise of a luxury liner that hit an iceberg, killing everyone on board. Now, the book became eerily prophetic as the disaster would play out almost to the exact detail of the book. What was different with Titanic was the huge political implications it would have after it sunk. Some of the wealthiest key figures in the financial industry died when Titanic sunk. All of them had one thing in common. They opposed the Federal Reserve. Now, let's just get some facts straight. These are all fact. J.P. Morgan funded and built the Titanic. J.P. Morgan was booked on the voyage but canceled at the last second. Friend of J.P. Morgan, Milton Hershey, also canceled at the last moment and survived to build the Hershey Food Empire, which we're glad happened because we live right here seven miles from Hershey, PA. It's offered me a lot of joy in my lifetime. Yes, sir. 
There were no red flares on board to signal any boats for any rescue. Only white flares that signal a party and that everything is okay. It was the first ship of its kind with the ability to seal decks electromagnetically, which could also seal people below deck. The captain, Edward Smith, was one of the most decorated captains of his time and would have been totally out of character by avoiding precautions. The author of the book was poisoned to death a couple years after the Titanic sank. The Federal Reserve was formed the very next year. The Astor family was one of the richest families in the world, and John Astor III opposed the Federal Reserve. Now, John Jacob Astor IV, the richest man in the world at the time, and a friend of Nikola Tesla, and an outspoken opponent of the creation of the Federal Reserve. Astor gained his wealth in part as a real estate builder, investor, and inventor. Other prominent Federal Reserve detractors, such as Benjamin Guggenheim and Isis Strauss, also died on board. Did J.P. Morgan get the idea how to kill off the opposition to the Federal Reserve from a book written 14 years prior? This, is, <clears throat> this was a book titled The Titan, published 14 years before the Titanic sank, and look at the similarities. Did they hatch a plan at Jekyll Island to build a ship to eliminate the competition? Here's some more similarities to the Titanic. Although the novel was written before the Olympic-class Titan Titanic had even been designed, there are some remarkable similarities between the fictional and real-life counterparts. Like the Titanic, the fictional ship sank in April in North Atlantic, and there were not enough lifeboats for the passengers. There are also similarities between the size, 800 feet foot long for Titan versus 882 feet and 9 inches long for Titanic, the speed, 25 knots for Titan, 21 knots for Titanic, and life-saving equipment. Beyond the name, the similarities between Titanic and the fictional Titan include described as unsinkable. The Titanic was the world's largest luxury liner, 882 feet, displacing 63,000 long tons, and was once described as being practically unsinkable. The Titan was the largest craft afloat and the greatest of the works of men, 800 feet, displacing 75,000 tons, and was considered unsinkable. Both had a shortage of lifeboats. The Titanic carried only eight, only 16 lifeboats, plus four Engelhart folding lifeboats, less than half the number required for her passenger capacity of 3,000. The Titan carried as few as the law allowed, 24 lifeboats, less than half needed for her 3,000 capacity. Both struck an iceberg. Moving too fast at 22 and a half knots, the Titanic struck an iceberg on the starboard side on the night of April 14, 1912 in the North Atlantic, 400 miles away from Newfoundland. Also on April night in the North Atlantic, 400 miles from Newfoundland, Terra Nova, the Titan hit an iceberg while traveling at 25 knots, also on the starboard side. Sinking, the unsinkable Titanic sank and more than half of her 2,200 passengers died. The indestructible Titan also sank, more than half of her 2,500 passengers drowning. Went down bow first, the Titan actually capsizing before it sank. So those are all facts that have to do with, uh, the, well, the similarities between uh, the book of the Titan and what actually happened with Titanic 14 years prior. So people were saying, hey, did J.P. Morgan get this idea from this book to plot this out? Which it wouldn't be too far-fetched to think that he would do that because if you think about all the different things that we talk about in the science fiction realm, well, where have they all come from? They all come from 
people growing up watching sci-fi movies like Star Trek, Star Wars, E.T. and whatever, and they get into those fields to make them happen, to yeah. create them. It goes back to that old adage, does art imitate life or does life imitate art? Right. And we talk about Elon Musk a lot. We talk about Apple, one of you know our favorites. Yeah. We talk about uh, Star Trek when you had the communicator and you could see the person you're talking to and then how it just became part of life. Like, sure. I'm sure that the people that created that were thinking that, you know, the watch that you can talk into from back, uh, get smart and a night rider, night rider. Like those are the, the concepts aren't new. So it, it could be, it could be plausible for JP Morgan to have read a book and then created a out a plan right thoughts on jp morgan sunk the titanic to form the federal reserve undeniable proof from julius caesar to lady diana spencer there is one constant to every high profile assassination which is beyond dispute they do not just happen they are allowed to happen Women and children get a spot on the lifeboats first. Plus, I'm sure those men who stood against the Federal Reserve, those parasite dirtbag scum, as they were looked upon, were killed on board before the boat sank to make sure that these demons edged their bets. And how on earth did three mega-rich and important men not get a place on a lifeboat? In their room, more than likely, with a bullet in their head. Truly, maybe it's just it, it was not just the iceberg. Maybe it was looking for an iceberg to justify the cause of damage. That could be another. And of course, all of this was planned way ahead. Probably even the death of aimed ones were executed before the ship sank. Now, the evidence that Morgan had the Titanic switched with its near identical sister ship, the Olympic, which had been irreparably damaged a few months earlier and would otherwise have to be written off without insurance. So this brings in uh, another realm, Titanic sinking conspiracy or truth. Steve, you want to jump in there? Yes. So the sinking of the RMS Titanic in 1912 shocked the world and attracted so much controversy that a number of theories have been put forward regarding this disaster. One such theory is that the sunken ship was actually the Olympic, which was a near-identical sister ship of the Titanic. It was the subject of a large insurance claim, and the two vessels were secretly switched prior to the Titanic's maiden voyage. Another was that the Titanic's owner, J.P. Morgan, wanted to eliminate several prominent bankers who were opposing his plan for the creation of the U.S. Central Bank. In 2003, Captain L.M. Collins, a former member of the Ice Pilotage Service, published The Sinking of the Titanic, The Mystery Solved, proposing, based upon his own experience of ice navigation and witness statements given at the two post-disaster inquiries, that what the Titanic hit was not an iceberg, but a low-lying pack ice. He based his conclusion upon three main pieces of evidence. At 11.30 p.m. on the night of the sinking, the two lookouts spotted what they believed to be a haze on the horizon, extending approximately 20 degrees on either side of the ship's bow. Despite there being no other reports of a haze at any time, Collins believes that they were that what they saw was not a haze, 
but a strip of pack ice three to four miles ahead of the ship. Two, the ice was variously reported as 60 feet high by lookouts and 100 feet high by quartermaster row on the deck and only very low in the water by fourth officer box hall on the starboard side near the darkened bridge. Collins believes that this was due to an optical phenomenon that is well known to ice navigators where the flat sea and extreme cold distort the appearance of objects near the waterline, making them appear to be at the ship's height of its lights, about 60 feet above the surface near the bow, and 100 feet high alongside the superstructure. A ship such as Titanic turned by pivoting on a point approximately a third of the ship's length from the bow, with the result that with her rudder hard over, she could not have avoided crushing her entire starboard side into an iceberg, where such a collision to occur, with the result that the hull and possibly the superstructure on the starboard side would have been rent, in all probability, the ship would have flooded, capsized, and then sunk within minutes. Interesting. Yes. So we're just getting deeper here. So the Olympic exchange theory. Now, one of the most controversial and elaborate theories was forwarded by Robin Gardner. In his book, Titanic, The Ship That Never Sank, Gardner draws on several events and coincidences that occurred in the months, days, and hours leading up to the sinking of Titanic, and concludes that the ship that sank was in fact the Titanic's sister ship, the Olympic, disguised as Titanic. As an insurance scam by her owners, the International Mercantile Marine Group, controlled by American financier J.P. Morgan, that would have acquired the White Star Line in 1902. Olympic was the slightly older sister of Titanic, but built along the more famous vessel, but launched in October of 1910. Her exterior profile was nearly identical to Titanic, save for minor details such as the number of portholes on the forward C decks of the ships, the spacing of the windows on the B decks, and the forward section of the A deck promenade on Titanic that had been enclosed only a few weeks before she set sail on her ill-fated maiden voyage. Both ships were built with linoleum floors, but shortly before she was due to set sail, J. Bruce Ismay, managing director of White Star Line, inexplicably ordered the floors aboard Titanic carpeted over. Now, on September 20th of 1911, the Olympic was involved in a collision with the Royal Navy warship HMS Hawk in the Brambles Channel in the Southampton Water while under the command of a harbor pilot. The two ships were close enough to each other that the Olympic's motion drew the Hawk into her aft starboard side, causing extensive damage to the liner. Both above and below her waterline, HMS Hawk was fitted with her reinforced ram, purposely designed to cause maximum damage to enemy ships, and admired <coughs> and it an inquiry assigned blame to the Olympic, despite numerous eyewitness accounts to the contrary. Gardner's theory plays out in this historical context. Olympic was found to be at blame in the collision, which, according to Gardner, had damaged the central turbine mountings and bent the keel, giving the ship a slight permanent list to the port side. Because of this finding, White Star's insurer, Lloyd of London, allegedly refused to pay out the claim. 
White Star's flagship would also be out of action during the extensive repairs, and the Titanic completion date, which was already behind schedule due to Olympics return to the yard after her loss of propeller blade, would have to be delayed. All this would amount to a serious financial loss for a company. Gardner proposes that, to make sure at least one vessel would be earning money, the badly damaged Olympic was patched up and then converted to become the Titanic. The real Titanic, when complete, would then quietly enter service as the Olympic. That's unreal. I really didn't know that. Yeah, it's fascinating, right? And I've really never heard that. I mean, I've... I don't want to say some of the things that I've heard because we're going to cover them tonight, but yeah, that wasn't one that they had switched it out. I had heard other things of why it went down, which we'll cover. And, uh, but yeah, that's one that I wanted the, the old switcheroo. Right. I mean, it's not, it's not, I don't think that's common. And if it was, you would think that there would be like, uh, a popular saying like oh don't get them switched like the olympic and titanic yeah exactly it's amazing that that is something that is kind of hanging in the background of the titanic story but also back in 19 10 11 and 12 a secret could be kept a lot better than it could be today a hundred percent i agree because i mean today it's just spread it's like wildfire you, you, you pull out your phone it's on social media before you know it, it's on the news that night right you got so you have uh, everything is at your fingertips now. You have the yeah. inter- you have the internet, and it's not like it used to be a hundred years ago. Hundred years ago, you could pull a secret off. Yeah, and the guys that were working at these uh, shipyards, even if they were aware of it, I mean, men, I mean, guys that I hang out with and friends that I have, they're not too big of gossipers. I can't believe that the guys that were welding the Olympic and the Titanic were sitting around. You know, so what's everybody up to? Did you hear that we might be uh, switching out Titanic for Olympic? Tell everyone. It may not even even been a real big deal. I know a lot of things at that time period were kind of reused and repurposed. It was it's a different society. It's a throwaway society now. So before in, in old old days, you could take a piece of metal that was something else before and make it into something new, and it wouldn't be a, such a big deal. You could resole your shoes. Right. You could do things of that nature, and it wouldn't be such a big deal. Yeah, people used to go to like cobblers and stuff and have their their shoes redone. And right. So to take a boat, uh, take a part of a boat, and repurpose it into another boat, it doesn't it. To me, that kind of fits the time period. And it could it could also be compartmentalized, too. They don't necessarily know why they're doing it. We need this part from the Olympic to go onto the Titanic and vice versa. It's just going to save time, energy, money. Let's get it done. Because who are you going to question? Not the boss back then because you didn't want to be fired. You had mouths to feed. Right. You might have a select few that are, you know, washing off the name Titanic or, or rubbing it off and, and then putting the name Olympic on top of it or something. Right. Right. That, that would be your, and those people probably would have died. Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely. Well, we're going to get into some of the identifying facts, uh, of what people saw and what they didn't, uh, coming up. Um, the Titanic indeed had a list to port leaving Southampton in inadequate trimming of cargo and bunkers would likely result in such. And the crew seems to have demonstrated a lack of proficiency on several occasions. A list of port was noted by several Titanic survivors, including Lawrence Beasley, who wrote in his book about the sinking. I then called the attention of our table to the way of the Titanic listed to port. 
I had noticed this before, and we watched the skyline through the portholes as we sat at the purser's table in the saloon. The dining saloon windows were double rows of portholes covered on the inside with screens of leaded decor of glass with no clear view of the outdoors. This was echoed by survivor Norman Chambers, who testified that after the collision, however, there was then a slight list to starboard with probably a few degrees in pitch, and as the ship had a list to port nearly all afternoon, I decided to remain up. Gardner states that a few parts of either ship bore the name, other than the easily removed lifeboats, bell, compass, and nameplates, everything else was standard White Star issue and was interchangeable between the two ships and the other vessels in the White Star fleet. While all other White Star Line ships had their names engraved into the hulls, Titanic alone had her name riveted over the top. The plan Gardner suggests was to dispose of the Olympic, which had allegedly been damaged beyond economic repair, in a way that it would allow White Star to collect the full insured value of a brand new ship. He supposes that the seacocks were to be open to sea to slowly flood the ship. If numerous ships were stationed nearby to take off the passengers, the shortage of lifeboats would not be a matter, as the ship would sink slowly and the boats could make several trips to the rescuers. Now, Gardner uses as evidence the length of Titanic's sea trials. Olympic trials in 1910 took two days, including several high-speed runs, but Titanic's trial reportedly only lasted for one day, with no working over half speed. Gardner says this was because the patched-up hull could not take any long periods of high speed. Perhaps this was due to the fact that Titanic, as the nearly identical sister of the Olympic, was expected to handle the exact, exactly the same, or perhaps the Board of Trade Inspectors were in on the scheme. Now, Gardner maintains that on April 14th, First Officer Murdoch, who was not officially on duty yet, was on the bridge because he, w- he was one of the few high-ranking officers other than Captain Smith who knew of the plan and was keeping a watch out for the rescue ships. Now, one of Gardner's most controversial statements is that Titanic did not strike an er- iceberg, but an IMM rescue ship that was drifting on station with its lights out, Gardner based this hypothesis on the idea that the supposed iceberg was seen as such a short distance by the lookouts of the Titanic because it was actually a darkened ship. And he also does not believe an iceberg could inflict such sustained and serious damage to a steel double-hulled vessel such as Titanic. Now, Gardner further hypothesizes that the ship that was hit by the Titanic was the one seen by the SSS California firing distress rockets. And that explains the perceived inaction of the California, which traditionally is seen as failing to come to the rescue of the Titanic after sighting its distress rockets. Gardner's hypothesis is that the Californian, another IMM ship, was not expecting rockets but a rendezvous. The ice on the deck of the Titanic is, is explained by Gardner as the ice from the, ring, the rigging of both the Titanic and the mystery ship she hit. As for the true Titanic, Gardner alleges that she spent 25 years in service as the Olympic and was scrapped in 1935. Researcher Bruce Beveridge and Steve Hall took issue with many of Gardner's claims in their book, Olympic and Titanic, The Truth Behind the Conspiracy. Author Mark Chernside also raised serious questions about the switch theories. Now, some theorists believe that Titanic was sunk on purpose to eliminate opposition to create the Federal Reserve Bank. 
Some of the wealthiest men in the world were aboard the Titanic for her maiden voyage, several of whom, including John Jacob Astor IV, Benjamin Guggenheim, Isidore Strauss, were allegedly opposed to the creation of the U.S. Central Bank, and all three men died during the sinking. Now, theorists suggest that J.P. Morgan, the legendary 74-year-old financier who set up the investment banking firm that still bears his name, arranged to have the men on board of the ship and then sink her to eliminate them. Morgan, nicknamed the Napoleon of Wall Street, had helped create GE, General Electric, U.S. Steel, and International Harvester, and was credited with almost single-handedly saving the U.S. banking system during the Panic of 1907. Morgan did have a hand in the creation of the Federal Reserve and owned the International Mercantile Marine, which owned the White Star Line, and thus the Titanic. Morgan, who had attended the Titanic's launching in 1911, had a personal suite aboard, aboard the ship with his own private promenade deck and bath equipped with specially designed cigar holders. He was reportedly booked on the ship's maiden voyage, but instead canceled the trip and remained at a French resort of Aix-les-Bains to enjoy his morning massage and sulfur baths. His last-minute cancellation has fueled speculation among theorists that he knew her fate. Oh my gosh, man! It's getting deep, everybody. It's getting really deep. It it could happen. I mean, that is a well laid out little plan there. Yeah. And at seventy four years old, J P Morgan just might have the mutza to to do it to pull it off. I, I mean, look, he was one of the guys involved in in shutting down Tesla and the future of mankind of having free power. You think it would be? out of his wheelhouse to just whack some people that were in his way of being able to take over the world's bank. And it, I mean, it, it was only a little over 2000 people. So yeah, I mean, nine 11 was what, I mean, 3,500 built died in the buildings. 3000 more died as a result of, uh, trying to either help at the, with the wreckage or the breathing in of all that stuff. So yeah, back then to deep state 2000 was nothing. And also I like the, uh, the fact that he was, gonna put an insurance claim in i mean that's right up jp morgan he's not gonna lose that money absolutely not tycoons don't do that we figure out how to make more money exactly so yeah i think both of those theories are fantastic why don't you uh shed some light on these closed watertight doors so another theory involves titanic's watertight doors this theory suggests that if these doors had been opened the Titanic would have settled on an even keel and therefore perhaps remained afloat long enough for rescue ships to arrive. However, this theory appears to be far from reality for two reasons. First, there were no watertight doors between any of the first floor compartments. Thus, it was impossible to lower the concentration of water in the bow significantly. Second, Bedford and Hackett have shown by calculations that any significant amount of water aft of boiler room number four would have resulted in capsizing of the Titanic, which would have occurred about 30 minutes earlier than the actual time of the sinking. Additionally, the lighting would have been lost about 70 minutes after the collision due to the flooding of the boiler rooms. Bedford and Hackett also analyzed and the the hypothetical case that there were no bulkheads at all. Then the vessel would have capsized about 70 minutes before the actual time of sinking and and the lighting would have been lost about 40 minutes after the collision. 
Later, in, 19, in a 1998 documentary titled Titanic, Secrets Revealed, the Discovery Channel ran model simulations, which also rebutted this theory. The simulations indicated that opening Titanic's watertight doors would have caused the ship to capsize earlier than she actually sank by more than one half hour, confirming the findings of the Bedford and Hackett. So this, remember in uh, the movie Titanic when the lighting goes out? Yeah. Uh, that was a crazy part. And that wasn't until later, like almost like right before it broke in half. Right. It was It was well in, I mean, it had been sinking for a long time at it that point. It was like point. the last hour of the movie, at least, was the sinking. Right. I mean, it, it was, but at that point in the sinking, it had been sinking for, it seemed like it had been sinking for two hours before they lost the lighting. Yeah. A really long time, and I thought it was interesting uh, where they were mentioning that they didn't think that there was any of those bulkheads, because if there were no bulkheads, then it probably, it would have snapped in half, but if there was bulkheads, it wouldn't have snapped in half, and it most likely would have capsized and not cracked in half like it was portrayed that it did, you know, and then the, the second half was just bobbing like a cork for a while. And then slammed into the ocean floor later on. Yeah, the way that James Cameron portrayed that ship standing up on end was amazing. That really was. That was really cool. So, let's see. What do we got? The, the expansion joints theory? Yes. Okay. Titanic researchers continue to the debate that causes and the mechanics of the ship's breakup. According to his book, A Night to Remember... Walter Lord described Titanic as assuming an absolutely perpendicular position shortly before its final plunge. This view remained largely unchallenged even after the wreck's discovery by Robert Ballard in 1985. He confirmed that Titanic had broken in two pieces at or near the surface. Paintings by the noted marine artist Ken Marshall and in James Cameron film Titanic, both of which depicted the ship attaining a steep angle prior to the breakup. Most researchers, researchers, researchers excuse me, acknowledge that Titanic, after expansion joint designed to allow for flexing of the hull in a seaway, played little to no role in the ship's breakup. Through debate, continued as to whether the ship had broken from the top downwards or from the bottom upwards. Now, in 2005, a History Channel expedition to the wreck site scrutinized two large sections of Titanic's keel, which constituted the proportion of the ship's bottom from immediately below the site of the break. With assistance from naval architect Roger Long, the team analyzed the wreckage and developed a new breakup scenario, which was publicized in the television documentary Titanic's Final Moment, Missing Pieces. Uh, missing pieces in 2006. One hallmark of this new theory was that the claim that Titanic's angle at the time of the breakup was far less than had been commonly assumed. According to Long, no greater than 11 degrees. That, that boat in Titanic was at 90 degrees or something. I was just thinking this. <laughs> we talk about time travel a lot in our uh, podcasts. Would you, given the opportunity go back in time to watch it go down well it's weird because how would i do it though how would i watch it go down i would i mean in a, in a dinghy no i mean you're set off maybe 400 yards oh, okay just because we know in, the exact location right in a dinghy by yourself no oars 
can't, I don't you can't you can't row towards anyone. You can't row away from anything. You're just a fly on the wall. You're in the middle of the ocean. And then after it sinks, what? I just come back to my current timeline. Yeah, you snap right back out of it. Ooh, I mean, I w- my first instinct would be to say yes. But think about sitting in a raft in North Atlantic by yourself at night. You'd be freezing. Oh, you'd be so scared. Anything could happen. And also, it would it would be terrible to watch a thousand people die. Right. And, and, and as far as time travel goes with all the different paradoxes, what if you go back and that's really how you died? And then... Oh, don't, then, don't, don't. <laughs> oh, yeah. We better not go down that <laughs> rabbit hole. Oh, boy. Now... Long also suspected that Titanic's breakup may have begun with the premature failure of the ship's after-expansion joint, and ultimately exacerbated that the loss of life causing Titanic to sink faster than anticipated. Now, in 2006, the History Channel sponsored dives on Titanic's younger sister ship, the Britannia, which verified that the design of Britannic's expansion joints were superior to that incorporated in Titanic. To further explore Long's theory, the History Channel commissioned a new computer simulation by JMS Engineering. The simulation, whose results were featured in the 2000 documentary, Titanic's Achilles Heel, partially refuted Long's suspicions by demonstrating that Titanic's expansion joints were strong enough to deal with any and all stresses the ship could reasonably be expected to encounter in service and during the sinking, actually outperformed their design specifications. But most important is that the expansion joints were part of the superstructure, which was situated above the strength deck, B deck, and therefore above the top of the structural hull girder. Thus, the expansion joints had no meaning for the support of the hull. They played no role in the breaking of the hull. They simply opened up and parted as the hull flexed or broke beneath them. Brad Matson's 2008 book, Titanic's Last Secrets, endorses the expansion joint theory. One common oversight is the fact that the collapse of the first funnel at a relatively shallow angle occurred when the forward expansion joint over, which several funnel stays crossed, opened as the hull was beginning to stress. The opening of the joint stretched and snapped. The forward momentum of the ship as she took a sudden lurch forwards and downwards sent the unsupported funnel toppling onto the starboard bridge wing. One theory that would support the fracturing of the hull is that Titanic partly grounded on the shelf of ice below the waterline as she collided with the iceberg, perhaps damaging the keel and the underbelly. Later during the sinking, it was noticed that boiler room number four flooded from below the floor grates rather than from over top of the watertight bulkhead. This would be consistent with additional damage along the keel, compromising the integrity of the hull. That could happen. That could. I mean, there was... I mean, if you were hitting an iceberg and it was cutting you up and down, not not as much long ways, which we know there was a ton of damage uh, to the starboard hull long ways, but also up and down, and then you get to get below water level, which a lot of the ship was. Yeah. And if you're getting that damage below water level, then you're sinking, but the water's coming up. Yeah, so damage had to have happened to the bottom of the ship as well. Exactly, exactly. So what's going on, Steve? Why don't you talk about the fire? fire. Yeah. Well, that fire, this is a very interesting fire. A fire began in one of Titanic's coal bunkers approximately 10 days prior to the ship's departure and continued to burn for several days into her voyage. 
Fires occurred frequently on board steamships due to spontaneous combustion of the coal. The fire had to be extinguished with fire hoses by moving the coal on top of another bunker and by removing the burning coal and feeding it into the furnace. This event has led some authors to theorize that the fire exasperated the effects of the iceberg collision by reducing the structural integrity of the hull and the critical bulkhead. In 2011, David J.H. Smith put forward his idea in his book, The Titanic's Mummy, which he looked at the event in a docudrama style. It was stated that the bunker fire was at the heart of the eventual disaster, claiming that the decisions made because of the blaze led to its collision course with the iceberg. The book also looks at the fire's physical effect on the ship, which claims it weakened the area of impact. Sanan Maloney has suggested that attempts to extinguish the fire by shoveling burning coals into the engine furnaces may have been the primary reason for the Titanic steaming full speed prior to the collision, despite, ice, despite the ice warnings. Most experts disagree. Samuel Halpern has concluded that the bunker fire would not have weakened the watertight bulkhead sufficiently to cause its collapse. Also, it has been suggested that the coal bunker fire actually helped the Titanic to last longer during the sinking and prevented the ship from rolling over to starboard after the impact, due to the subtle port list created by the moving of the coal inside the ship prior to the encounter with the iceberg. Some of these foremost Titanic experts have published a detailed rebuttal of Maloney's claims. It just so, keeps getting better. I mean, that bunker fire was burning while the passengers were boarding. Yeah. And they just they just let it happen. Right. And one of the documentaries that I watched, it must have been the documentary that they were referring to with that fire that took place 11 days prior. What they did was is they just they painted over the damaged uh of the outside with the fire which was it was it was evident you could see like the black you know smoke that had burned it and actually burned through they they turned the ship the other way so that that hull was now facing out to sea so that when the passengers were coming on board you couldn't even see it no pictures could be taken of it but in that documentary there was a picture because i saw that documentary i mean they did i mean from photos but it wasn't something that people were like hey look blah 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 you know right they turned the ship around and loaded it from the good side yeah but there was there was photographic evidence that the starboard side had a whole issue that was painted over you're right for sure definitely right now the origin of this switch theory can also be called the riddle in 1996, Robin Gardner, who we've been talking about, a 40-year-old plasterer and father of one from Barton, a suburb of Oxford, England, published a book entitled The Riddle of Titanic, co-authored with a Dutch journalist and naval history writer, Dan van Dervot. The U.S. edition was published in 1997 under the less mysterious title of Titanic Conspiracy, Cover-Ups, and Mysteries of the World's Most Famous Sea Disaster. Vandervaat describes how it originated in a biography on his website. Robin Gardner had written a manuscript about his conspiracy theory the ship had been switched with her sister. 
but it needed work. His literary agent had once been mine, so she sent it to me. My role was to go back to the original sources and check them out for clues, and then to write the book with the line-by-line consultation with Robin. The publishers were disillusioned when the theory did not stand up, thanks to the magnificent support of the late Dame Burl Bainbridge and others, it became a bestseller in several countries, Japan, Germany, and Italy, as well as Britain. The whole affair was great fun, and for once, decently rewarded. It seems that Vandervaught, both in biographical piece in which he says the theory did not stand up, and also in correspondence with Titanic author and researcher Paul Lee, does not ultimately believe the theory is credible, allegedly calling the switch theory a bilge. However, Gardner did not stop with his first book. Several more quickly followed soon thereafter, including Titanic, <coughs> The Ship That Never Sank and the history of the White Star Line, and more recently, the Great Titanic Conspiracy. When Titanic fever was at its height due to the 97 Cameron film, it's no surprise the book sold well, and no doubt the release of his most recent book was timed for the centenary. Now, telling Vandevat, despite the fact the first book sold well, never co-authored another book with Gardner. All further books were only Gardner himself. And curiously, while the first look was praised for its research and balance, with the final chapter even acknowledging that the wreck has Titanic's number 401 on it, debunking its own theory, subsequent books by Gardner have been less well-received. Michael Tenero, well-known Titanic <coughs> bibliographer, who reviewed the book on his website, Describe Titanic, The Ship That Never Sank, as attacking the evidence instead of offering up alternate proofs. Now, many of the author's criticisms are based on flimsy testimony from witnesses whose reliability is questionable. Contrary evidence, even if abundant, is ignored if it does not support the author's agenda. Now, these issues take taken together damage the author's credibility to the point that it is difficult <clears throat> to take his radical theories seriously. So exactly what is Gardner's switch theory? This is his summary as provided in the preface to Titanic, the ship that never sank. The collision between HMS Hawk and RMS Olympic may have caused more serious damage to the liner than its owners were prepared to admit at the time. That the inquiry, which automatically followed any collision involving a naval vessel, was not entirely unbiased. That, as a result of the inquiry, the White Star Line could not recover the cost of repairs to its ship from the insurance companies. That, given the immense initial outlay in the constructing of Olympic and Titanic and the amount of income lost by the former's two-month layup following the Hawk incident, the owners and builders were left with serious financial problems. That the owners, with the help of the builders, might have decided to switch the brand new Titanic with her slightly older sister in order to get at least one vessel back to sea and earning money. Now, the owners, deciding that the repair of the Olympic was uneconomic, might have resolved to dispose of the ship in such a way as to be able, that this time, to collect on their insurance. Gardner is not the first to pitch an insurance scam scenario involving Titanic. According to an article by ta Titanic researcher Sanan Malani in the, uh, on Encyclopedia Titanica, Raymond Osquith, who was a junior counsel for the Board of Trade at the British Inquiry into the sinking, wrote the following in a letter to the Times on February 23, 1914. The architect, the owner, and the captain were partners in an infamous conspiracy to repair their desperate fortunes by sinking the ship and sharing the, insur the insurance money. You know what just dawned on me, folks, while, while we were going over that part? What's that? I've never seen a picture of them together. In in the history of 
That's you know, true. The greatest ship that the Earth had seen at that point. If there were, if they were twins, if there were sister ships, it would be the first thing you would do is take a picture of them next to each other. Yeah. But I've never seen the picture. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I've never seen the picture. And my understanding of the Titanic growing up in, in my 42 years of knowledge, I, I've never heard of them kind of like spoken as the same time. Like it didn't seem like they were kind of like sister ships getting pushed into the sea together. But and you also have to think though, it was a different time back then. I mean, we take pictures of what we're having for dinner. <laughs> I do. You know what I'm saying? So it's like back then, they were probably like, it took so long to take an image or to, to take a photo that they were probably like, well, what are we going to take of them being built? You know, but let's just wait to the grand day. Everyone will be out there. Right. The balloons, the atmosphere. And why would they have them both in the same place? And maybe logistically, they just didn't have them both in the same place. If they were the biggest ships in the world at that time, there might not have been a port that they could have put them next to. I don't know. It just seems kind of hinky to me that they were never in the same. It's kind of like Superman. That's what I was going to (laughs) say. They were never in the same place at the same time. So you really couldn't tell. That's right. So hey, we're just going to keep going because this is getting really good. However, this is not a promo- this was not promoting a conspiracy, he said. In fact, quite the opposite. The letter was entitled a Titanic analogy. And Maloney points out that it's remarkable and that unwittingly debunks in advance the claims of modern conspiracy theorists that the White Star Line would sink a vessel in order to reclaim the insurance. The letter was in response to a negative stance by the Times newspaper on a government bill that would give Ireland home rule in which they predicted civil war is absolutely inevitable because of public apathy. The Times wrote that people would not believe in the Balkan War until it happened. They did not believe in the Spanish-American War, nor in the Russo-Japanese War. If anyone had foretold the founding of the Titanic on her maiden voyage, it would have been laughed aside as an impossibility. The present danger of civil war is very similar. Asquith's letter was sarcastic response to the Titanic reference, in which he describes the ludicrousy and improbability of Titanic disaster being pre-planned. He references how 100,000 men in Belfast would have to be in on it and of manipulating dummy icebergs. He ended the sentence with, it's not improbable that some members of our race have to have too little imagination, but it is impossible that others have too much. Hence, a titanic conspiracy in which the ship was sunk for insurance money was not only referenced by a contemporary participant in the disaster, but also debunked in a national newspaper only two years after the disaster. So why the resurgence? Rather tellingly, Gardner actually admitted in his first book that a switch was impossible in the epilogue of the riddle of the Titanic. Fittingly entitled Grave Doubts, he admitted the following. In the end, it was Harlan and Wolf who provided an acid test. The Titanic had the hull number 401, which they said would have been stamped on major parts built into the ship. The IMAX film shows a 401 on the port propeller. Yes, but the Titanic was cannibalized for parts when the Olympic was damaged. Could this have been one of them? However, that may be, one or more arcane exhibits at Greenwich, the helm indicator from the stern bridge mentioned above, clearly showed the number 401 stamped deeply into the bronze stand. This acknowledgement is also is almost undoubtedly due to the co-authorship with the naval history writer Dan Van Der Vaught, who admits he brought 
threatened to co-write the book by going back to the original source and check them out for clues, and then to write the book with line-by-line consultation with Robin. Directly after acknowledging that, that after acknowledging that Titanic there is an intriguing paragraph in which they explain how conspiracies occur. A conspiracy theory arises after a disaster because many people find it impossible to believe a tragedy could happen. Indeed, for some conspiracy theory, there is psychological necessity to help them come to terms with a shocking event. There is a manifest need for formal recognition of widespread phenomenon, which we could call specific post-traumatic paranoia, whereby people of sound mind, whether victims, their relatives, or merely concerned observers, exhibit temporary or particularized paranoid symptoms as their way of coping with a disaster. <clears throat> How prophetic those words were. After rather disappointing that after acknowledging that it might must be Titanic and that a switch was indeed a conspiracy theory based on paranoia, that Gardner would afterwards continue to publish further books expanding on the claim, but notably his co-author Dan Vandervoort no longer beside him. Clearly, Gardner and his publisher had realized there was money to be made. Vandervoort had indeed acknowledged that the Riddle book was decently rewarded, so perhaps not surprisingly, the further books followed, despite this earlier admission that the conspiracy claim was impossible. Now, while Gardner's book had been popular, it was when television channels picked up on the conspiracy and turned these documentaries and found their way onto YouTube. And the switch theory began to really gain momentum. Documentaries have appeared, such as Why They Sank Titanic and The Ship That Never Sank. The very nature of these productions means that the persuasive voice over dramatic recreations, emotional music, inaccurate computer graphics and unreferenced details, uncredited quotations, and carefully selected excerpts from interviews can tell a very incomplete or obviously biased story. Now, conspiracies draw in audiences and have become a lucrative market. Rarely do they ever provide a balanced view of subject. Interestingly, Gardner himself had found fault with one of the documentaries. In July 2013, he wrote to Alexandra Bruce of Forbidden Knowledge TV. I have just been made aware that you're broadcasting a film under the heading Was Titanic Deliberately Sunk by J.P. Morgan? on your Forbidden Knowledge TV internet TV channel. This film was made by Mr. Andrew Newton back in 2000, using a copyrighted material without my agreement, photographs from the Ulster Folk and Transport Museum, and interviews taken from various television documentaries, all with rights to... all without rights to use any of it. The only picture in the entire production to which Mr. Newton had any rights at all was one late in the film supposedly showing where the name on the wreck had been altered. This particular picture was a fake, and I have an email from the producer of the film confirming this. Notably, even Gardner admits to fake or doctored images being used in documentaries to prove his theory, but also revealing that he is quite possessive of his material. Now, on July 23rd, 2017, Gardner died after losing his battle to stomach cancer at the age of 70. An obituary in local newspaper, the Oxford News, dated the 21st of September, 2017, contained the following. A plaster for more than 20 years. The Barton man had one of his manuscripts accepted in the early 1990s, which started a writing career which spanned two decades. His wife, Lynn, said not everyone liked his theories, but stuck to his guns and believed his research and conclusions. Robin Gardner was born in Headington on May 24, 1947, to parents Audrey and Harold Gardner, a military man who later worked in the Indian Institute. The middle child of three, he grew up in an area with his older brother Derek and younger sister Judy, and the family moved to 
Barton Estate. He went to St. Andrews Primary School and then Bayswater Secondary Modern School before completing an engineering course at Oxford College of Further Education. When he left college, he became a plasterer working for a number of companies and eventually became self-employed. But his fascination with Titanic began in his childhood, and throughout his life he endeavored to read everything he could on the ship and its doomed maiden voyage. He married his wife Lynn at the registry office in Oxford on January 20th, 1979. When the two met years before, she was working in Shotover Arms, which is now McDonald's, a fact which annoyed Mr. Gardner every time he drove past it. The couple lived in Headington to begin with and moved to Brampton Road on the Barton Estate. They had a son, Will, in 1981. At the beginning of the 90s, Mr. Gardner was told by doctors to stop working or a back problem could leave him in a wheelchair. But a few weeks later, the manuscript for his first book was accepted by a publisher. It was co-authored by maritime specialist Dan Vandervaught and published by Wiedenfeld and evidence supporting his theories by readers around the world. He added six more books to his collection. His own ex- exclusive books, The Ship That Never Sank and Titanic conspiracy allowed him to fully explain his theory. His books were popular both in UK and America, but many sought to discredit his theory. His agent, Graham Smith, said a film project was being worked on in America at the time of his death based on these theories and that it could be produced posthumously. Aside from his meticulous research and writing, he was a talented engineer and restored motorbikes, repaired cars, and built radio-controlled modeled aircrafts and locomotives in his shed. He died from stomach cancer and is survived by his wife and his son and his siblings, Derek and Judy. His funeral was held at Oxford Crematorium Monday, August 14th, 2017. Flowers were asked to be sent in the co-op funeral services and Oxford donations made to a dog rescue. Now, the very next thing I'm going to let Steve read over some of these is claims. These are all claims that people have made and brought up in argument of what really happened with Titanic or was it switched and, and things of that nature. So everything that Steve's going to read here until he stops is basically going to be different claims that people have made. Right. These are all claims made. So here, the first claim is that Titanic's insurance was increased five days before the maiden voyage, which resulted JP Morgan receiving $12.5 million for her in insurance payouts from Lloyd's of London. Uh, the maritime insurance estimated at a today's value of $160 million. It's more than they could have ever recovered if they sold her for scrap. So there, I mean, that's something that people do. It's a little scam. You know, I'm going to jack my insurance up and yeah, people do it. If they get in an accident, they'll get the check from their insurance company, but they don't get their car fixed. They keep the money for something else. Exactly. Here's another claim. All that needs to be done to switch the ships is exchange those parts of the ships which bore the vessel's names, such as nameplates, the ship's bell, menus, and notepaper letterheads. The names on the life belts, the lifeboats, also any plaques or brass fittings with the liner's name on it, and any interior signing, signage bearing the name Olympic or Titanic. So there, there was probably a lot of universal parts. They may not have stamped everything with Olympic or Titanic because if they were making more than one of them, you know, or making two different ships, they don't know which ship it's going to go on. Yeah, ship happens. <laughs> the Olympic 
was recorded as having a tonnage of around 45,000, while the Titanic weighed in at about 46,000. Plainly put, the addition of 1,000 pounds to the Titanic still resulted in the Titanic weighing 46,000 pounds, which doesn't make a lot of sense. It is very plausible that the 1,000 pounds of tonnage was added to the Olympic in order to meet the weight of the Titanic. So there they could have kind of synced them up, even though one of them took extra tonnage to to each other. Right. Titanic had a, a newly named room. This one's cool. The Olympic Room. Because superstitious shipping merchants believe it's bad luck to change the name on a ship. And J. Bruce Ismay and J.P. Morgan thought it best to have the Olympics name still somewhere on board. White Star never had any intention of scuttling the ship. The swap was purely to keep the company in business. That makes sense. Totally. The nameplate of, the nameplate of Titanic is longer on the ship as it went on its maiden's voyage compared to when it was being built. It was longer as it had to cover up the word Olympic that occupied more space. That That's cool. Yeah. Titanic had 14 bow portholes. Olympic had 16 bow portholes. The ship photograph departing Southampton has 16 bow portholes. It's the Olympic, not the Titanic. That seems like the smoking gun right there almost, you know? I know. And, you know... We lost the Olympic to history. They they right. used it for all those years, and now it's gone. So you can't really look at it anymore. And the Titanic is down at the bottom of the Atlantic. So you can't really – I mean, the pictures that they, they brought up, it's cool that they found it, but you can't exactly tell how many bow portholes are on that ship down there. Well, it's not like they're doing anything different today. I mean – when the World Trade Centers came out, those were put on fast boats to China before any of the steel could be tested for any thermite or anything like that. So, I mean, they're, they're crafty. They're, right. If you wanted to pull something off, you could have done it. Also, at Titanic's launch, all of the windows on B-Deck were evenly spaced out. Yet, on her maiden voyage, they were seen as being unevenly spaced, just as Olympics were. Olympic had a vertical joint in her hull, plating immediately forward of the port side anchor house pipe, while Titanic, during her construction, did not. A post-disaster image of Olympic shows the plating joint has disappeared, revealing she is, in fact, the Titanic. Boom. Photographs of the Titanic at Southampton shortly before her maiden voyage show a large area of discolored plating as if it had been newly painted with paint that did not quite match the original in the same location as the Olympics hull was damaged by the HMS Hawk. And you know what? That goes back to the fire story. That's what I was just thinking of. Because we, I mean, it's clear when they're showing the Titanic that there is a painted portion of the front of it. Right, so was that due to the fire of the Titanic, or was that due to the wreckage that the other ship got into? Oh, that's that's deep. It's getting deep. While the wheelhouse of the Olympic was allegedly constructed in a bow-fronted fashion, a photograph taken from the top of the huge steel gantry appears to show a straightened front 
fronted wheelhouse, exactly as it appeared on earlier drawings of the ship. I don't know that one. Right. Don't know all of them. As welding had not yet been invented, it was customary for White Star Line to etch or cut the names of their liners into the steel and not rivet them to the outside. However, both the RMS Olympic and RMS Titanic had their names riveted on, covering something up, perhaps. Interesting. That one is weird. Historians have always mused that it was rather strange that Titanic was never shown the enormous publicity that the Olympic received the year before. It was somewhat of a quiet affair. The unsinkable ship somehow had to become sinkable, very, very sinkable. The bulkheads were not actually sealed at the top. This oversight allowed water to flow over, filling each compartment one at a time. Did J.P. Morgan and J.B. Ismay know this? Possibly. I wouldn't put it past them. Olympics trials in 1910 took two days, including several high-speed runs. But Titanic's trials reportedly only lasted for one day with allegedly none over half speed. This was because Olympics patched up hull could not take any long periods of high speed. Booyaka. While Olympic was open for inspection by the press and public in both Belfast and Southampton, Titanic was not open for any inspection at all except to the Board of Trade Inspection. Of course. More than 50 first-class passengers canceled at the last minute, many of them friends and businessmen uh, business associates of J.P. Morgan and Morgan himself, who had money tied up in the White Star Line, also canceled, claiming that he was ill. Morgan has, was found two days later by a reporter in good health at a French resort with a mistress. Morgan also had several valuable bronze statues removed from the ship just hours before she sailed. Florence Ismay wife of Bruce of J. Bruce Ismay, chairman of the White Star, also canceled along with their children. And just like Morgan, she said she was ill and instead went on a motoring holiday. Sounds shady, yo. It does. It sounds so here, uh, we got a lot of a lot of these claims. Let me jump in here with some. Now a large proportion of the engine crew signed off just prior to the ill fated voyage starting from Southampton during a coal shortage which meant that many sailors were out of work due to the ships being laid up. Did they have some idea that the ship that they were on was not the Titanic, but her damaged sister, the Olympic? They probably knew it was on fire. They knew something. <laughs> yeah. Titanic's lifeboats had small brass ID plaques screwed on them, and they all said RMS Olympic. Titanic's lifeboats had RMS Olympic on them. The ship was going full steam but was achieving only 21 knots rather than its theoretical maximum of 23, despite the Atlantic being exceptionally calm on the night of the sinking. This is consistent with the damage previously sustained by the Olympic. Since an iceberg could not inflict such damage on a steel doubled hull vessel, such as Titanic, it must have hit something else, in this case an IMM rescue ship that was drifting with its lights out. The ice on the deck of the Titanic is explained by Gardner as ice from the rigging of both the Titanic and the mystery ship she hit. Numerous ships were stationed nearby, despite a coal strike, to take off passengers, which is why the shortage of lifeboats would not matter. 
to sink the Titanic, really the Olympic, the original plan was to actually open the seacocks to slowly flood the ship and await rescue. The Californian was sent to rendezvous with Titanic and collect the passengers after intentional sinking. The California had a cargo of a few thousand Wally jumpers and blankets, as if they were ready for a rescue mission. Survivors on B-Deck describe seeing lifeboats being lowered from above. There's no way that they have seen that on Titanic, only on the ship Olympic. Eyewitnesses themselves describe running along Titanic's decks, but where they said there were promenades, there should, be, there should have been cabins. J.P. Ismay had all the linoleum flooring of the new RMS Titanic covered up with new carpet. Was this to hide 12 months' worth of scratches and marks on the linoleum surface? Titanic split at the same point where the Hawk hit, revealing that it was, in fact, the Olympic. The surviving crew were detained overnight and forced to sign a pledge under the Official Secrets Act, promising to keep secret forever the actual events of the night of the 14th and 15th of April 1912. Harold Sanderson from shipbuilder Harlan and Wolf repeatedly referred to Titanic as Olympic at the British Inquiry. Was the confusion because they had been switched? An old sailor of the Titanic, Patty the Pig, revealed shortly before his death that the Titanic had been switched with his sister ship, the Olympic. Paneling from third-class areas of the ship now adorn a private flat in the whorl. The woodwork has the reverse sides clearly marked. On the panels, the number 400 is stenciled, but on the frames, the number 401 is clearly visible. They forged Titanic's letters, have rusted off and reveal an MP, part of the word Olympic that was actually engraved or embossed into the original metal panel on the ship. Olympic was fitted with Titanic's propeller. The Olympic's hull was painted white for its launch so that it would show up in, photographer, in photographs better. Where rust and marine life had flaked the top layers of paint from the hull of the wreck discovered by Dr. Ballard patches of what appeared to be white paint are exposed. When James Cameron sent a robot into Ismay's room in, in the film, a vein marble surround on the fireplace that exactly matches that shown in a, a photograph of the corresponding stateroom aboard the Olympic taken in 1911. Now, the Olympic could not go to sea as Titanic with Olympic written on the bells. The answer was to grind the names off the bells. One of the ship's bells was recovered from the wreck, although in excellent condition, there was no name on it. The stern section of the wreck has a longitudinal bulkhead that looks like a temporary repair and had been made to strengthen the keel, exactly what had happened to RMS Olympic. Author of two books exposing the theory, Stephen Hall, has actually admitted on camera, I would have to say the question remains open. I do not have enough concrete information to say that the ship at the bottom of the Atlantic is the Titanic. Patchwork and braces from repair work due to damage caused by the Hawks collision with the Olympic found in Titanic stern wreck photographs. That's the that is crazy. This the actual photographs from the Titanic. Yeah. Showing those uh, collision patchworks. Yeah. Now we're not even done with some of the with, with all the theories on what could have happened. We got so, some more. Yeah, so JP Morgan, a mummy and the Federal Reserve. Now, who sank the Titanic? When the most tragic events occurred in our lives, we do our best to make sense of them. We might blame God, bad luck, or secret desires, or the, or the twins, fate, and destiny. When it comes to the most dramatic events in our planet's most recent history, the sinking of the Titanic often tops the list. Was the sinking of the technological wonder a spell of bad luck, poor workmanship, or a sleepy captain, 
or does the truth lie in the Titanic conspiracy theory? It was the maiden voyage of one of the largest and most luxurious ships in history. Wealthy societies, celebrities, and business tycoons resided on the upper decks. Each room was adorned with private baths, furniture, attentive butlers, and the accruement of kings. The lavish suites were stunning. Those considered to be of lower class stowed away in the most humble of accommodations, with the bare minimum of each of their crowded cabins. They were relegated to group bathrooms shared by many. Catching all classes and crew members by surprise between April 14th and 15th of 1912, and amid a moonless and windless night, Titanic barreled into an iceberg, hemorrhaged in its side, and began sinking. Within hours, 68% of the 2,205 passengers were dead. Even if every life but space was used, only 53.4% would have survived. When you break down the loss by class, it's disturbing. Only one child from first class perished, while while steerage lost 49 of its youngest jeez that's crazy even sadder had the titanic's crew seen the iceberg 10 seconds sooner the ship would have missed it entirely if they altered captain smith 10 seconds later they would have hit the iceberg head on this may have caused substantial damage but it would have not sunk the ship the ship expired because the iceberg sliced along the section of the side of the vessel which was catastrophic the sounds of people drowning are something that I cannot describe to you, and neither can anyone else. It's the most dreadful sound, and there is a terrible silence that follows it. That was Eva Hart, a second-class survivor, and she was on Lifeboat 14. Jeez. When you research Titanic conspiracy theories, you uncover the most remarkable ideas. While some are logical, others require a slight or drastic stretch of imagination. Here's a list of the most popular Titanic conspiracy theories. J.P. Morgan the titanic and the federal reserve was the titanic sunk on purpose the white star line company built the titanic which was owned by american banker jp morgan at the time of titanic sinking the multimillionaire was one of the most powerful people in the world this theory suggests that morgan wanted to kill his rivals they may have wanted to dismantle the federal reserve a vehicle that morgan had learned to manipulate to his benefit while Morgan had a ticket for the voyage, he never boarded, canceling at the last minute. Meanwhile, Jacob Astor, Isidore Strauss, and Benjamin Guggenheim all perished aboard the unlucky ship. The challenge with this theory is that Strauss supported the Federal Reserve, at least in public, while Astor and Guggenheim never made their feelings known. The known quarrel between this group of money men was likely real. Although we might never know if the Titanic sinking was planned as the final blow from J.P. Morgan. Okay, here's this next Titanic insurance scam. Some conspiracy theorists believe that Titanic didn't sink. These folks say the Titanic sister ship, the Olympic, had sailed from England to New York and was forced to return for repairs to Belfast shipbuilder Harlan Wolf. While the ship was seaworthy, additional repairs were required through March of 1912, a few weeks before Titanic's maiden voyage. This theory rests upon a simple idea. The Olympics owners switched the two ships with hope of receiving the payout from, from the more lucrative Lloyds of London policy on the Titanic. With a litany of holes, this concept neither treads or holds water very well. The idea of ditching a damaged ship to reap a limited insurance reparation while killing loads of people in the process seems a bit far-fetched. 9-11 
<laughs> Meanwhile, Lloyd's of London claims that Titanic was insured for just over $1 million. They also state that they paid every claim in full within 30 days. Their loss in today's money would be over $100 million, one of the largest losses in history. While the purpose of the switch was to rescue the White Star Line from bankruptcy, the Titanic was most likely underinsured. This means that if every claim was satisfied, the result was a net loss. The evidence is overwhelming. Eyewitnesses themselves describe running along Titanic's decks, but where they said there were promenades, there should have been cabins. While survivors on B-deck describe seeing lifeboats being lowered from above, there's no way they would have seen that on Titanic, only on the ship Olympic. Uh, that That's my favorite one, I think. I like that one, too. Swapping the ship's Titanic Olympic to save face, also known as the Great Titanic Olympic Switch and the Titanic Olympic Conspiracy. This idea includes testimony from the Titanic's first officer, Murdoch. Murdoch's firsthand experiences were documented by Robin Gardner from 1947. His, his life was from 1947 to 2017. Author of the Titanic, The Ship That Never Sank. Uh, talking about Gardner here. Gardner's idea is that the Titanic and her sister ship, the Olympic, were switched soon after a collision involving the Olympic and a Navy warship. He notes that because the two ships were twins in appearance, the Olympic could easily be dressed and disguised as the Titanic. Gardner and others report that this charade was not only an insurance scam created by the International Mercantile Marine Group, owners of the White Star Line, it was IMM's only option to save their reputation, along with several financing deals in play. When the Olympic collided with the Royal Navy's HMS Hawk, the Navy deemed that the Olympic was at fault, although eyewitnesses passionately defended the opposite. As Gardner's theory goes, Lloyds of London did not pay the insured their damages, even though the ship required extensive repairs. Since the Titanic was behind schedule, and according to Gardner, IMM decided to masquerade the damaged Olympic by converting it into the Titanic. The Titanic. Later, they would quietly relaunch the Olympic into service. Given the incredible list of similarities between these sister ships on the surface, this theory has merit. While every vessel in the White Star fleet had their names engraved in their hulls, the Titanic was the only ship that had her name inscribed using surface rivets added to the ship at a later date. According to Gardner, the Titanic never hit an iceberg, but it collided with the SS Californian, also owned by J.P. Morgan. Following the swap, the Titanic spent the next 25 years in service as the Olympic and was decommissioned in the mid 1930s, as the story goes. Love it. Love that. Listen to this one. No Pope. The Titanic was constructed in Belfast, Ireland by the world renowned shipbuilders Harlan and Wolf. Now, this theory suggests that this prominent Irish company was known only to hire Protestants, which was common in Northern Ireland for the time. To that point, some Catholic reporters believe that the ship's hull number was 390904, which when flipped vertically looks exactly like no pope. Of course, Catholic workers describe this as blasphemy, although there's no official record that this number was ever stamped on the ill-fated ship. That's a crazy one. I love that one. That one's good, too. Uh, the Curse of the Pharaoh. 
If you've ever been cursed, you might believe this interesting theory. It has been said that a shipping compartment on the Titanic contained the bewitched mummy of an ancient and powerful princess from Egypt. Supposedly, the course in all, in all of its regalia belonged to Lord Centerville, who had hoped to ship it to a buyer in New York City. To better protect the deceased scorned monarch, Titanic's Captain Smith agreed to place the mummy in storage area near to the ship's bridge. While there was no way to know whether or not the mummy was cursed, the statue above her head reportedly read, Rise from the ashes and let your eyes strike those who stand in your way. Given the intensity of that quote and the mystery surrounding mummies, I probably have transported that mummy using air air transport or a less populated ship. (laughs) Yeah. Now, some have said the original journalist who unearthed the malevolence of this mummy, Bertram Fletcher Robinson, was killed just before releasing his research. So says Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, as noted by Pearson's Magazine and the Daily Express, were also the first publishers of Robin's analysis. Now, Doyle said of his friend's death, the immediate cause of death was typhoid fever. But that is the way in which the elemental guarding the mummy might act. Meanwhile, researchers noted that the line that the mummy's coffin never left the British Museum, so it could not have been stored on Titanic. Journalists also uncovered the fact that the unlucky mummy was most likely a wooden board with an image of a mummy painted on it. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Why don't you take us through this last one? So, it could have been that the Titanic was attacked by a German U-boat. Ooh. Following colliding with the iceberg, Titanic passengers and crew recalled that there were explosions from deep within the bowels of the ship, taking place an hour or so after the ship had scraped the iceberg. The assumption in this theory is that the Germans knew the ship was in trouble. Rather than save it, the U-boat launched torpedoes on the Titanic. Survivors of the tragedy said they saw searchlights in the distance that were not reported prior. Also, crew members said they saw an unidentified vessel surface near the Titanic before the collision. At that time, U-boat technology was highly advanced and had long been used to scan the North Atlantic. Whether the submarine specifically targeted the ocean liner or accidentally collided with it remains to be known. But three years prior, a German U-boat sank the famous ship named the Lusitania. Was there a conspiracy against a successful Titanic voyage? Did the Titanic sink, or was it a pawn in a larger scheme? The wreck of the Titanic, discovered by Robert Ballard in 1985, may have shown possible evidence that confirmed the Olympic swap theory. While some photographs show a clear M and P from the name Olympic on the hull, with a hint of gray paint as the undercoat beneath the name. Naysayers seem to have proven that these images were computer-generated. While certainly compelling, irrefutable evidence has not yet been presented that proves the Olympic was swapped for the Titanic. When decommissioned in 1936, noting the several differences between the two ships, it appeared that the Olympic was indeed the Olympic. That said, there's little existing evidence of the Olympic today. The boat was not only decommissioned, it was also torn into pieces and scrapped. Well, what does that sound like? <laughs> we might never know the truth about the events leading up to and following the sinking of the Titanic. The reality of the tragedy is often far more complex and incredible than the contrived and sensational narratives created by writers and theorists, especially long after the fact. 
I cannot imagine any condition which would cause a ship to founder. I cannot conceive of any vital disaster happening to this vessel. Modern shipmaking has gone beyond that. That was Edward John Smith, the captain of the Titanic, summer 1911. Yeah, great quote by him. Yeah, I mean... Well, least, he's the captain that went down with the ship. Though. Yeah, I was going to say, at least he never had to answer for it. I mean, they'd be like, I thought you said... Yeah, I got, I've got a quote here from you, sir, last summer saying it was unsinkable. Yeah, I mean, so this is just one of these theories where, you know, you just have to take... I mean, we've presented every case here tonight that we could possibly find on Titanic. I mean, it happened so long ago. I don't even know if there's anybody alive anymore. That could even be, you know, asked, or even if they were, are they of sound mind where you could trust that what they're saying is accurate? Um, I don't know. It's it's a fun topic. We'll never know because of how far back it was. I mean, we we'd have to be kidding ourselves to not think that Deep State did those kind of things back then. I mean, look at J.P. Morgan when he when Tesla approached him. He said, "Okay, well, where do we put the meter to charge the public?" He said, "There is no meter." He said, "Well, then there's no deal." Right. I mean, so he was a uh, J.P. Morgan was not uh, Santa Claus. J.P. Morgan was a cutthroat businessman who did what had to be done. I mean, and he's still a legend today. I mean, his banks are still in existence. So, I mean, to say that he wouldn't do something like that. Uh, oh, gosh, that would be like saying that, uh, you know, uh, Dick Cheney didn't have anything to do with uh, September 11th. Oh, I mean, in both of those, in more than one theory, too, because he had uh, a way to take out his rivals. He had a way to get the money back that he needed to from his, his ship. So there's a couple of different things going against J.P. Morgan and the fact that he's so cutthroat in that yeah. situation. Yeah. So uh, so that's our show for, for tonight on the Titanic and the different uh, theories that go into it. Is that what's down at the bottom of the ocean or is it the Olympic? We'll never know. But you can just uh, you can take the information that we supplied with you tonight. You can make your own decision because, hey, nobody's going to be wrong. And it's just a good, fun uh, topic to discuss on what do you think happened. So that's, all, that's our show for tonight. And until next time, I'm Fultz. And I'm Steve. And we'll see you next time. Take care of one another. Bye-bye.